Good morning. It is so very good to be together on the Lord's Day. We are thankful for your hospitality that you have already shown. And it is very good to meet the brethren in a new location. Thank you for the kind words with regard to the class this morning. And we look forward to visiting with you at lunch. And then one more session afterwards. And then we will be collecting the table and the materials that are on the table in the foyer. So please avail yourself of that material. All of those DVDs are free. And uh, we hope that you will pick those up. If you don't pick, if you pick them up, I don't have to load them up and take them back home. So please make use of those, and uh, we'd appreciate that a great deal. Last year, I was involved in an accident that has changed my life forever. On May the 5th of 2019, I had started doing a gospel meeting in Salem, Virginia, at the West Side Church of Christ, where at the time Brother Eddie Gilpin was the preacher. This is actually a shot from their auditorium. We began the meeting on Sunday, and on Monday, Eddie asked if Sherry and I would come over to his house to eat dinner, with uh, eat lunch with uh, his wife and he, and they were going to show us around their property. He told us they were going to take us to a little cafe that was nearby. We were expecting that we were going to some sort of a restaurant, but when we got ready to leave, we went outside, and he said, let's get on the four-wheelers. And I thought, what kind of restaurant are we going to that we're going to on four-wheelers? But anyway, we started riding across their farm, and they took us out to a certain location where they had a spread set up under the trees and had a beautiful, beautiful lunch. This was their own personal cafe on their property. And so we had a great lunch together. Beautiful weather. The sun was shining. You could not have asked for a better day than this. When we finished, they asked if we would like to tour their property, and we said that that would be great. They had, I think, 110 acres, and so Eddie and Jeannie got on a four-wheeler in front of us. Sherry and I got on a four-wheeler behind them, and we started traveling around the property. We were traveling on a hayfield. They took us up to the top of their property, and I stopped, and I got out my iPhone, and I took this picture, and we were just getting ready to head down, and Eddie said, would you like uh, me to take a picture of you and Sherry? And I said, that would be great. I handed him my phone, and he took this picture. This was literally uh, seconds or minutes before the accident occurred. We started down this hill through this hayfield, and the hay was pretty tall. It was probably, if you were standing there, it was nearly chest level. And apparently we hit something. We don't know what happened because this is where I went blank. And they say that the four-wheeler we were on flipped four times. Sherry flew off in one direction, and I flew off in another. When I hit the ground, I broke my back and I severed my spinal cord. Eddie was in front of me, but he heard it. And he said that he came and he ran back to me and I was unconscious. He thought I was dead. Sherry was quite a distance off because she was thrown in one direction. I was thrown in the other direction. But she said she could hear Eddie calling my name, but I wasn't responding. She said she was praying to God that I wasn't dead and that I wasn't brain damaged. After a bit, I came to, I still don't remember any of this, but... Eddie said that I began to say, I can't feel my legs, I can't feel my legs. 
Cherry said from a distance, she could hear me groaning, but she said my speech was slurred. I was hurting, and I was saying, I can't breathe. Please move me. Please lift me. But, of course, Eddie wouldn't lift me because he was afraid what might happen if they tried to, to move me. They called an ambulance to the scene. When the ambulance got there, they immediately said, we can't handle this, and they called a helicopter, and they medevac me to the hospital in Roanoke, Virginia. When I got there, they determined that I had, in fact, this is actually uh, one of my uh, MRIs. This is um, where they determined I had a broken back, a broken sternum, a cracked C1 vertebrae at the base of my skull, and I severed my spinal cord. They operated and they fused five vertebrae together. And as you can see there, if you look closely, you can see uh, it literally broke my spinal cord in half. When I woke up, I was very confused. And I talked to the doctor. In fact, this was a shot that my brother or someone took of me, uh, maybe unconscious in the hospital. When I woke up a day or two days later, I was very, very confused. I asked the doctor, where am I? He said, you're in the hospital. You've been in an accident. And I, it occurred to me I couldn't move my legs. And I said, I can't move. What's going on? And he said, you've severed your spinal cord. And I said, will I ever walk again? And he said, I can't say for sure, but probably not. At the time... It seemed kind of like a dream. You ever had one of these dreams that's so terrible and you go back to sleep and you wake up and it's, it's all gone? For the next two or three days, I kept going through that. I kept thinking this is a dream. And after two or three days, I woke up and I finally realized it was true. And I was absolutely devastated. After a few more days, they airlifted me to the Shepherd Center in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, and I spent the next three months there in rehab. And so, before I got out of rehab in Shepherd, the brethren from polishing the pulpit and house to house, heart to heart, came and visited me in the hospital. And they said, would you write a lesson about your experience and deliver it at uh, PTP? And I did that about a week after I got out of the hospital. I got out of the hospital in the beginning of August, and two weeks later I went to PTP and delivered the lesson that I'm about to share with you. So what I'm going to do in the next several minutes is, number one, I'm going to share some observations and some applications that I drew from this experience. Number two, I want to talk about some benefits from suffering, specifically my suffering, and then ask the question, where now? So let's begin with the first point, and that is I want to talk about some observations and applications. First, to talk about suffering. Brother, when I hit the ground, and I was lying there with my spinal cord broken. I was in pain. I was begging for help. Now, I don't remember this. This is just what they told me. I do remember that later I was in the hospital, and I recall that my pain was so bad, I was begging the nurse for help. And she kept saying, there's nothing I can do. Eventually, I got to the point I was in tears, and I begged her. I said, please give me morphine. Please give me some help. At that point, she went and got a doctor, and they took me in for a procedure. But here's the point that I want to make. I want you to consider a person who dies and who goes to hell. If a person dies and goes to hell, the pain they will experience will be a million times worse than what I experienced, and they will beg for relief and beg for relief, but they won't have any. 
What they will have is darkness and fire, and it will not stop. And as we covered in Bible class, Revelation 14 and verse 11, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. But brethren, what I know is this. When you experience that kind of pain that I experienced, even on a limited basis, you know you don't want it to go on forever and ever, and it makes you think, I don't want to go to hell. Here's the second thing I want you to notice. You don't know what tomorrow holds. James chapter 4 and verse 14 says, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. We are having a wonderful day, and suddenly, without warning, I nearly died. What if I had hit the ground and immediately, instead of lifting up my eyes in the hospital, what if I had lifted up my eyes in eternity? Friends, I will forever have that impressed upon my heart how real a reality that is that at any moment any one of us could completely unexpectedly die and it will be too late and the only thing that will matter is how I was living seconds prior to that. It's like we studied in Bible class this morning in Luke chapter 16. The rich man lifts up his eyes in torment and in fire. Of course, Lazarus lifted up his eyes to see angels. Likewise, each one of us one day is going to lift up our eyes to one of these eternities. But see, most of us expect that we're going to get old and we're going to slowly fade away and we will be expecting it. I was riding along, everything was great, and just like that, it could have been over. And that could happen to you this very day. It's a lesson we should learn from this. The next thing I want to mention is God's will. Brethren, since this accident, I have repeatedly had people say to me, well, this happened for a reason, or it was God's will, or words to that effect, it's part of God's plan. Friends, I do not believe that. I do not believe that God is crashing people on four-wheelers. You know, if we're not careful, we can get dangerously close to Calvinism and suggest that God causes everything. But the fact of the matter is that God has given us free will, and God allows us to suffer the consequences of our actions. You know, sometimes maybe there's a drunk driver, and a drunk driver will hit a child, and some well-meaning person will say, well, God must have wanted that child in heaven. No wonder parents get angry. No wonder people get mad at God when they think that God took their child. That wasn't God's will. That was a violation of God's will that took that young person's life. We need to be very careful and we need to understand that not everything that happens is God's will. Here's the next thing I want to talk about. I skipped one of them here, but let's go to the next one. I want to talk about some benefits of suffering. I want to talk specifically about my suffering. Friends, skeptics and atheists will sometimes use suffering as a proof that God doesn't exist. I would argue to you that great good actually comes from suffering... And I want to give you some examples of this. Number one, as you can see on the chart here, suffering teaches us how to pray. Brethren, I have never prayed so hard in my life as I have after this accident. I begged the Lord, let me walk again. I don't ever remember begging the Lord in prayer. Thousands of Christians around the world were praying for me. I was asking them to say the same prayer. But I'm going to be honest with you and I'm going to tell you, I have struggled with this. I have struggled because I have asked myself, why do I keep praying and nothing happens? 
Why doesn't God answer my prayer? It's made me feel spiritually weak at times. It's made me feel ashamed of myself. But you know, I came across something that has helped me recently. It's in Matthew chapter 12. You read about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is in prison. He's soon going to be beheaded. And the text says this, And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples unto him and said, Are you the one that is coming, or should we look for another? Now, brethren, I want you to think about this. I have asked myself, why in the world would John the Baptist ask this question? John is the one who by inspiration introduced Jesus to the world. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. And now here is John asking the question, Are you really the one? How could that be? Brethren, I believe that John at this point, even John needed reassurance. Even John needed someone to tell him this is right. Why is that in the Bible? I believe this is here to show us that John is a human being just like every one of us who doubts and who worries and who needed this. But you know what else has helped me? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh. Now, I don't know what the thorn in the flesh was, but I read that three times he, he prayed to God to have this thorn in the flesh removed, and God said to Paul, no. God said to Paul in verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And in verse number 7, he said, I'm giving you this lest you be exalted above measure. And so what he said is, I am answering this, but I'm not going to remove the thorn in the flesh, which was probably some sort of physical ailment that he had, some physical malady. He said, I'm not going to remove this, but I'm going to give you my grace. That's going to be sufficient. And he said, Paul, as a matter of fact, this is going to help you in some sense. He says, lest you be exalted above measure. Brethren, think about that. I don't know that God caused this, but as a matter of fact, he calls it a messenger from Satan that was buffeting him. But he said, you can profit from this in some way. You can be better from this in some way. You see, suffering benefits us. Suffering teaches us how to pray. Number two, Suffering takes away my love of this world. Since this accident, I have thought so many times, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. John 14 and 2, Jesus said, In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto me, that where I am, there you may be also. Brother Don McWhorter, before he died, penned these words. He said, woe to the man or woman whose life on this earth is so pleasant that he forgets about heaven. And that's right. I don't want to forget about heaven. And suffering takes away the love of this world. Number three, suffering allows Christians to let their light shine. Matthew 5.16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Brother, while we were in the hospital, we received approximately 4,000 cards. In fact, while we were there, we got up to about 2,800 cards. I know that because my dad was there and he was counting them. And he decided that he was going to hang these cards all over the room. And what you can see in this picture, we had every crack in this room covered with cards. Many of these cards contain Chick-fil-A gift cards that brethren would send us. I joked and I said, we will be eating Chick-fil-A till the Lord comes again because we've got so much Chick-fil-A. 
But you can see we hung them all over the walls. Every person who would come in would see the spaces covered, and they were in awe. There was a man who worked there who ran the mailroom who had been there for years. He said, I have never seen anything like this in my life. I remember somebody coming in, and they asked me, they said, Are you somebody famous? And I said, I'm a Christian. I said, this is what brethren do. And it made an impression on everybody who came in that room. It just so happened that I was in the hospital the same time as Kenny Rogers. In fact, there's a picture of me and Kenny sitting together one day. I was in the hospital with me and Kenny Rogers. Somebody observed, Kenny Rogers didn't get this many cards when he was in the hospital. I said, Kenny Rogers is not a Christian. I tried to make an effort to that extent while I was there, but uh, nothing happened. While I was in the hospital, someone at the South Haven Church, where I preach, started a GoFundMe account to help raise money for us, to help us modify our house and our bathroom. And There was a man in the community who saw how much money had been given, and he thought, I want to find out about these people. I want to find out about this church. The man's name was Ken Winstead. He was a contractor. He ended up being one of the men who came and modified my house, and while he was there, I taught him the gospel and baptized him. Good comes from suffering. Here's another thing. Good, or one of the goods that come from it, is it helps us have a proper perspective on our physical possessions. Brethren, in the months prior to this accident, or the months after the accident, I got to thinking about all of the things I was going to have to give up. Many of the things I had to give up simply because I didn't have the ability to use them anymore. Prior to the accident, I had gone out and I bought my dream pickup truck. I bought a 2018. It was blue. I had leather seats in it. I got everything I wanted in this pickup truck. First time in my life, I just went out and said, I'm getting what I want. I had this thing just a few months. And when I got back, I couldn't get in the truck anymore. And I had to sell it. And it pained me greatly because I love my truck. <laughs> but then I got to thinking, maybe I shouldn't love my stuff that much. Maybe that's a problem. Isn't that the problem that the rich young ruler had? And it made me stop and think, maybe this accident is helping me. The rich young ruler walked away from Jesus because he loved his stuff. And Jesus said, Assuredly, I say unto you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 19, 23. And I'm rich. And you are rich. We don't always think about it, but we are rich people in this country. And I believe many... Otherwise, faithful Christians are going to lose their soul because of this issue. Here's the next thing. Suffering brings out the best in people. When I was in the hospital, I hired two men in the community where I lived, firemen back home in Hernando, Mississippi, to cut my grass. Now, they're not members of the church, but when they heard why I was in the hospital and what was going on, these men cut my grass all year, and they would not let me pay them. They did the weed eating. When the winter months came, they kept coming. They took up the leaves the entire year. These men would not let me pay them. When we got back home, we went to Longhorns for lunch. Longhorns is one of my favorite places to eat. And the waiter there knew me and saw me, and he saw me in the wheelchair, and he came and just hugged me and cried. When we got ready to leave, our waitress that day said, your meal's been paid for. And I said, by who? She said, by the waiter. 
I've been given free haircut. These are non-Christians I'm talking about. I could give you many examples. Since this accident, my parents were there with me in the hospital every single day. My dad is 76 years old. And I watched him lift my body. And I watched him dress me. My wife has done many unpleasant tasks. The nurse at the Shepherd Center told us that she had seen many people's spouses leave them over the years after an accident like this because they would say things like, I didn't sign up for this. She said that was very common. The church at South Haven was incredible to me. Many acts of kindness were done. Too many even to mention. But you know, I remember in John thirteen thirty five, Jesus said, By this will all men know that you are my disciples that you have love for one another. And this type of suffering gives us an opportunity to share that love. Number six, suffering humbles people. Brethren, this entire experience greatly humbled me. Before this accident, I was physically strong, very healthy, financially well off, in control of my life. At work, I was the boss. When everything is going your way, it is easy to get full of yourself and you feel self-sufficient. But this accident made me realize how much I depend on God. A whole team of highly skilled doctors could not do anything about my situation. And it made me realize how much I depend on God. This accident humbled me in a way I have never been humbled. And maybe that's been good. 1 Peter 5 and verse 6 says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and He will exalt you in due time. Number seven, suffering makes you sympathetic to other people. And suffering also purifies us. What do I mean by that? When I say it makes us sympathetic to other people, you can look at things that other people are going through, but until you have been there, you don't fully appreciate it. But now when I hear people tell me about things that they are experiencing, it's different for me now. It means something to me now. I want to be there for them now. I didn't put the slide up here, but suffering purifies us. What do I mean when I say suffering purifies us? Brethren, when I realized how close I came to dying, it made me search my life for any shortcomings, for any sin. When I realized that at any moment my life could be cut off, and I might have something that causes me to be lost, it makes me stop and think about 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, where the Bible says, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Test yourselves. What does that mean? It doesn't mean examine yourself to find out whether you're a Christian. This was written to Christians. When he says examine yourselves whether you be in the faith, what he is saying is be sure you're walking in the light. And that's what each of us needs to do. Suffering will do that to us. I did have the slide up there. Here's the last one. Where do we go from here? Where do I go from here? I'm paralyzed. I can't walk. And in all likelihood, I will never be able to walk again. But here's the thing that I have determined. 
I want to suggest to you that each of us makes a choice to be happy or to be miserable. Now, how do I do that? How can I face the difficulties of life and be happy? Number one, I think about what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11. He said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He said, it didn't come naturally. I learned that. It's going to take effort. I'm going to tell you after a year into this, there's a lot to learn to be happy. When, you lose, when you've lost so much, it's a struggle, but you can learn it. Here's the second thing I know. I can't live in the past. Since this accident, I have thought over and over and over again. I remember when I used to could do so and so. I remember, every time I go into, when I was traveling before, I was very serious about exercise. When I would go to do a gospel meeting, if I drove all day and I got to the hotel at midnight, I would go and change clothes and get on the elliptical and work out before I went to bed. And now when I go into a hotel, I still think about that. I still think to myself, where's the workout room? And I can't use it. Those type things go through my mind, and it makes me sad. I have to tell myself, you can't live in the past. You've got to live in the present. Here's a third thing. We have to control our thoughts. In Philippians 3 and verse 14, Paul said, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching forth to those things that are before. Now, I'm aware of the context of the passage, so I'm not trying to get bogged down to say that I'm misusing this, but I want you to think about Paul. When he thinks about the things that he had done in the past and had murdered Christians, don't you think this is a man that could get bogged down in his past and let that haunt him? You can't do that. You've got to control your thoughts. Sometimes when I think about the fact that I'm paralyzed, I get to the point that I almost go into a state of panic because I feel claustrophobic. I'm trapped in my own body. But you know what makes me get over it? Is when I stop thinking about it. And I stop letting my mind go into bad places. Think on good things and positive things. And here's the next thing. Don't forget that you're a Christian. I remember one day that I was in the hospital and I was feeling overwhelmed with sorrow. I was thinking about all the things that I had lost. I was thinking about all of the physical possessions I had to give up. I was thinking about physical abilities, things that I would never be able to do again. And it was Father's Day last year. My daughter and my son-in-law came to visit. And it was such a good thing. And they left. And I was sad because they left. And then my phone started to buzz. I have an iPhone. And the iPhone does this strange thing. The iPhone will take pictures that you have on your phone and it will put them together in like a video and show them to you. They had left. I was sad. My phone popped up that it had given me a video. And I looked at it. And it was from a trip to Disney World. And my whole family was standing there together. And I was in the middle and I had my arms wrapped around the family. And I thought to myself, I'll never be able to do that again. And I thought, how can I go on like this? And I was, I was brought low. It was maybe the lowest I'd ever been. And then I thought to myself, I'm a Christian. And it occurred to me, this is all temporary. 
this life is short, and then I'm going to go to heaven. And then I thought, I've got it made. And then I thought about all these people in the hospital with me, and I pitied them because I thought, if all I have is this life, and I've got to spend it in this crippled, lame body, then that's going to be miserable. But it occurred to me, that's not what I have. This life is, life is a vapor, and it's going to go by quickly. Here's the second thing. We need to realize that God did not put us on this earth to be happy. I know that sounds like a strange statement. I want to read you this quote from Jane McWhorter's book, Let This Cup Pass. She said, we are here to prepare ourselves for life after death. It doesn't matter whether we live 50 years or 100 years. Neither does it matter whether those years are carefree or filled with sorrow. The only consideration of lasting importance is where we will spend eternity. In Ecclesiastes 12, 13, the Lord said these same thoughts. He said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. I think sometimes we think that we have been put here in this world to be happy. And if we're not happy, then something is wrong. That's not why we're here. We're here to fear God and keep His commandments. That is the whole duty of man. You see, number three. With those first two points in mind, I want to be evangelistic. I wanted all of those people in the hospital to have the same hope that I have. I want all the people that surround me every day to have the same hope that I have. And who knows if maybe this accident, maybe this disability will open the door for me to teach people that I didn't have the opportunity to teach before. I mentioned to you that I taught the contractor who came to our house. If you will look here, these are three of the subcontractors. Ken Winstead is the man in the black and white shirt that I mentioned earlier. The three that are with him were three subcontractors. I taught and baptized all of these men during the time that they were working on, on the house. Brethren, after this accident, I thought to myself, if I could trade all of my earthly possessions, if I could give my house, my car, my money, everything, everything that I have so that I could walk again, I would do it and not blink an eye. I wouldn't stop to think about it. But there's one thing that I would never trade, and that is my soul. Because Matthew 16, 26 says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world, and yet lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Brethren, this morning, there is nothing more important than your soul. And I hope that each of you will realize that. I hope it doesn't take an accident to make you realize that. Because one day, it may not be an accident, but one day the Lord is going to call us all home and we will stand before Him in judgment. This morning, if you are not a New Testament Christian, you're not prepared for that day. But to be ready, you need to obey the gospel by hearing it, believing it, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in Christ, and being baptized in water for the remission of your sins. This morning... If you want to learn that, come forward and talk to us and we'll set up a Bible study with you. Maybe today you know what you need to do and you're ready to do that. We're ready to assist you, to take your confession, to immerse you in water, baptize you into Christ. Maybe you're here as a Christian and you just need to make your life right. Maybe you need to repent of sins so that you know when the Lord comes that you'll be ready to meet Him in judgment.
This morning, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, won't you come? Together we stand and sing this invitation song.